Hello, everybody. This is Todd Underwood from SIFT, the voice of the food industry. And you're listening to Food Stories, the podcast, the show that highlights the industry that keeps 330 million people fed in the U.S. and tells the stories of the innovative people, companies, and organizations that keep the food flowing to our stores and restaurants. It's a program for people in the industry, as well as those who have interest in how food products are made and delivered with the highest quality and safety in mind. We would like to thank our sponsors who make this show and other programming possible. They are Jobs Ohio and the Ohio MEP. You can learn more about these impactful organizations in the links shared in the show description. Now, let's get to today's program. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. We are here with uh, VM Bala Subramaniam, Professor of Food Engineering at The Ohio State University, and he's going to talk to us about a process called HPP. Um, And we're very excited to talk to him for our Food Stories podcast, because this is a very important technology that's really changing the food industry, but not as new as many people think. Um, Good afternoon, Bala. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me part of this uh, podcast. We're very, very excited to have you. Abala, for our audience, could you just maybe introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your professional background and maybe a little of your story? Oh, sure, definitely. So my name is uh, VM Bala Bala Subramaniam. I'm originally from India. I did my bachelor's in agriculture engineering from India, and I did my master's in post-harvest technology from Asian Institute of Technology in Thailand. And then I did my PhD between 1990 to 93 at the Ohio State University. I'm a Buckeye. And then uh, I did a postdoctoral research in the University of Georgia and then went to the National Center for Food Safety and Technology, which is a university industry FTA consortium, where I worked there for seven years before returning back to Ohio State in 2002. And since then, I've been working here. So you, you like Columbus then? Yes, I think um, this, I consider this my second home. Okay, great, great. Well, for those of us laymen out there, could you just kind of explain what what is HPP and how does it work for, for the layman? Sure, high pressure processing uh, is one of the uh, technologies under a technology called non-thermal processing. Historically, we have been processing food with the heat. And uh, while heat makes the food very safe, prolonged exposure to heat also degrades the quality of the food and some of the nutrients and so on. So the food industry have been looking for technologies that reduce the degradation of nutrients and preserve the nutrients. And uh, among the technologies, one of them is the high pressure processing. Uh, basically, high-pressure processing is you take your food product, for example, a piece of meat, your potato, or your soup, package it in a flexible container, pouch, and then place inside your pressure vessel, and then subject that to about 87,000 pounds per square inch for maybe about two to three minutes, and take it out. And that will inactivate any harmful microorganisms in the food while make it uh, safe and uh, preserve the nutrients. Okay, so there's no chemical side to this at all. It's just a physical reaction. Yes, I think it is a physical process. 
Okay, interesting. So what are some maybe some common items that, you know, the average person when they go to the grocery store, they may see on their shelves that uses this technology for but they may So that's a very interesting thing. High pressure processing um, started in the United States as a commercial treatment around uh, 1997. Uh, a lot of people enjoy consuming guacamole and guacamole is one of the first products. Uh, high-pressure pasteurized and sold in various uh, grocery chain outlets. Uh, then in addition to that, the deli meats, um, oysters, uh, a lot of different ready meals, uh, juices, like for example, if you buy some of the juices from Starbucks as an example, these are all high-pressure processed. Also, quite a few products. I bet you a lot of people didn't even know that. Well, you mentioned 1997. So is this a new technology or has it been around a while? Uh, it's interesting you asked this question. So contrary to the understanding, it is not a new technology. I think uh, the first literature on high pressure processing goes all the way back to 1894. Uh, a scientist by name Height, he's a scientist at uh, the Virginia Ag Experiment Station, and he was experimenting with the different um, uh, food products with the high pressure processing using home-built pressure machine. And you found that, uh, for example, you can able to preserve juices with the high pressure processing, you can able to preserve um, various milk and those type of products. And he was very active in that area between 1894 to uh, probably uh, 1914. Wow. Um, and then, I think the research stopped, and then people didn't pay attention to that work. Uh, coming back, 1980, Japanese looked at this uh, some of the earlier publications, and then commercialized this for jams and jellies. And uh, there's a, a professor at Oregon State University at the time by name Daniel Farkas. He kind of looked at the Japanese work, and then he started the high-pressure work in the U.S., around uh, 1985. And then since then, I think uh, it became picked up a lot of uh, active research and first commercialization happened in 1997. Wow, so that's a big gap. That's a, almost a hundred year gap. Without getting too into the historical details, what happened in 1914? Was it just because of World War One, or what? What really stopped stopped the? I think uh, the, there are a couple of things happened. I think uh, the high pressure processing, uh, are uh, you know at the time World War One, as you pointed out, I think it started, and then you also have uh, another technology by you probably know now all of us know freezing. So freezing became uh, kind of much more commercially advanced, and I think it kind of implemented, and the consumers readily accepted frozen product as a gold standard. And then it became uh, a technology of choice for many years. It's only in 1980 things started going back where I think the food industry started experimenting with uh, chill products, and then later on, I think the consumer trend changed in the 90s and uh, 2000, where they wanted to look at safe products, also nutritious diets, and so on. I think that kind of brought back the HPP around 1997. And HPP probably has, I would guess, more of an image of fresh, fresh than versus a frozen food. That's correct. 
Okay, interesting. Interesting. So, what is your role in in, in this bringing this process? So, in, we're in the '80s. Um, the market is changing. Um, you know, because I remember I'm a child of the '70s. Frozen food. I do definitely remember that in the '70s. We all had our frozen TV dinners, but definitely around the '80s, people wanted more healthy and fresh. The market changed. So, how did you become part of this technology? So, it's a kind of in, yeah, some as to some extent, it's an accident. So I was a grad student at Ohio State in between 90 to 93. At the time, I heard about a company called ABB Autoclave Systems, who also existed at the time in Columbus, Ohio. So I kind of got some of those brochures, but I didn't pay much attention beyond that. And uh, when I became a faculty member at uh, Illinois Institute of Technology, NASA Center for Safety and Technology, uh, I started working uh, in food engineering. I need to identify a new technology. So we had uh, one of the research center in Chicago, and um, they had a high-pressure machine. And so I kind of started working in collaboration with that research center. And uh, it's also very interesting at the time that organization which owned part of the high-pressure equipment at the time decided that there's no future for high-pressure processing, and they decided to donate the unit to uh, my laboratory. And so that's how I started working in the high-pressure processing. I started working in the uh, both the high-pressure pasteurization and also what I call pressure-assisted thermal processing, which is uh, trying to develop a sterilization or canning type of process for high pressure processing. And uh, the interesting thing is uh, maybe three, four years after that, the first uh, high pressure pasture product was introduced and then subsequently kind of exponentially grown, so. Wow, well, can I just back up a little bit? So this company, they decided to give up on HPP and donated the equipment. What were kind of the, the challenges that they were seeing that made them give up that perhaps you, when you came in, were able to solve for? I think it just, uh, business decision at the time. I think this is a larger corporation and I think they just want to concentrate on certain core businesses. And they were looking at this as a little bit outside their segment. And then they kind of decided that, uh, you know, this partnership probably may not be right for them. Uh, right and decided. But I think if they waited, probably they would have been a major player in this technology today too. Okay, so you 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 did this, and all of a sudden it starts to take off. What what was the big benefit of HPP at that time, and even now that really helped it scale across the industry? You said it started was it started with guacamole? Is that what you said? Or right, know? that's correct. So one of the interesting thing with the high pressure processing is it's a technology which is versatile. So it's evolved with time with the consumer needs. So if you look at the 80s and 90s, I think one of the major concerns from the food industry or from the consumer side is food safety. And I think uh, as a result, uh, you know, the consumers, for example, uh, worried about uh, meat, uh, you know, meat outbreaks and like probably you may remember Jack in the Box outbreaks in the uh, 90s and 2000. And um, so, as a result, I think uh, USDA and a number of other regulators try to establish zero tolerance for uh, listeria in meat products and so on and so forth. 
And I think the high pressure get into that domain and be able to satisfy those needs. And uh, the interestingly, uh, Quacamole itself, another interesting story. Uh, this is a gentleman uh, from Texas. He had um, four or five restaurants which uh, sell a lot of different Mexican food, including guacamole. And uh, he had difficulty in maintaining consistent quality across different restaurants. And he came to know about high-pressure processing, and then that's how he started experimenting with it, with it and then implemented to supply guacamole for his uh, restaurants. The consumer liked it, and then eventually he started his own company to sell outside of his restaurants to broader uh, people, and that's eventually became a uh, corporation itself. And that kind of how high pressure processing of guacamole was introduced in 97. In 2000, uh, some of the meat products were uh, high pressure pasteurized because the USDA required zero tolerance for listeria in meats. And that's a major boost for the technology. So that's kind of the earlier uh, adaptations. And then moving forward from 2000 to say 2010, 2015, the consumers become more worried about the additives and preservatives. I think there's a lot of interest in clean label products and things like that. And it turns out that as the industry gained more experience, the both the academic researchers and industry researchers also learned more about the capabilities of high pressure processing. What they found out is that you can able to preserve food, not only safe, but you can also eliminate the need for preservatives. And that become high pressure kind of a technology of choice for preparation of the clean label type products. Interesting. Well, that brings up actually two questions I have for you. So you mentioned a restaurant in Texas, and my background's a little more business. So when you implement new technology, sometimes the scale is a problem um, and, and capital investments and things. So that doesn't sound like a giant corporation. So what kind of capital investment did it take for a, a, a restaurant chain to invest in this new, new technology? Is it something that was able to be implemented pretty easily? or? So, yeah, that's an interesting question. So. Um... Dan Bowden, I think that's his gentleman's name. So the initially he was implementing this in a smaller scale. So it's like 35 or less than 100 liter vessel. Uh, and then once he commercialized, he was implementing in a 200 liters vessel. One of the interesting thing with the high pressure processing in commercial applications, a lot of the initial commercializations, in fact, kind of done by small entrepreneurs which became into a larger corporations uh, or acquired by larger corporations. And um, so I think uh, today, I think uh, um, one of the things, benefits of the technology is that uh, you also have a many toll processing capabilities. So that, you know, that means that entrepreneur doesn't need to you know, invest in capital for the equipment and things like that. You need to have a unique power product idea. Then you work with the toll processor and process your product and then distribute. So I think uh, this way going to the market is much more easier, but you need to have a unique idea that consumer willing to buy and you know pay for it. 
Wow, interesting. So it was a very accessible technology, kind of bottom up, interesting from the marketplace. Very interesting, which is, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so my next question that you made me think about, just again, speaking from a layman's perspective, uh, what was the effect of uh, shelf stability or shelf length like on a guacamole by using HPP? What what was the benefits in that particular product just so we can understand uh, how it affected that marketplace? Yeah, so I think let me kind of first introduce, you know, maybe tell you about broadly and then pay attention to guacamole. Sure. So in comparison to conventionally processed product, high pressure processing can extend the shelf life uh, by a factor of 1.5 to 2. So that means, for example, if you have a 30-day shelf life product, you may extend to 45 days or 60 days. So there's a significant advantage. So that means the processor can probably be able to ship relatively longer geographical distance and able to you know, um, extend the shelf life. So I think that's quite capable and it has been demonstrated in wide range of products. And that also helps to reduce food waste because a lot of times when you distribute products, you spoil and so on. So this is another potential benefit. With respect to guacamole, I think it's the same thing. But one interesting thing about that is guacamole has a certain enzyme. So when you try to preserve it with the heat treatment, it doesn't uh, look very appealing. You lose, it becomes like a brownish I color. Whereas with the high pressure, you can able to retain that uh, freshness aspects of that. So aesthetically, it maintains the aesthetic even longer along with the shelf life. Interesting. That's correct, right. Um, so... On that note, like what what are some of the other technologies again that perhaps HPP is there a sort of any because you talk about it, it reduces food waste it doesn't have a chemical side so from even from a sustainability and an environmental perspective this sounds like a, an amazing process are there other types of packaging products that go well with this or other technologies it goes well with to within the food space does that make sense as a question is it are you talking about complementary, non yeah, co complementary technologies? Or? Are there things that it's complementary? Right. Oh, so, right. So, I think there are, uh, as I was uh, mentioning in the initial, initially, there there is a broad umbrella of technologies called non-thermal processing technologies. So, if you look at the basic theme of that non-thermal technologies, is um, heat. Prolonged exposure to heat can damage the food product and the nutrition and the quality attributes. So the idea here is if we can identify a lethal agent other than heat, that can be used to inactivate microorganisms without compromising the quality and nutrients, then these are called non-thermal technologies. So in the case of high pressure processing, we use uh, extreme pressures. Uh, I mentioned 87,000 PSI, which is probably like uh, going at the bottom of the ocean about 100 to 200 uh, miles uh, and keep it for a short time. You also have a technology called pulse electric field processing, which is uh, using very high voltage, 30 to 55 kilovolt per centimeter electric field is applied. So that can be used for juices. Then you have uh, uh, sound base can be used to preserve. Uh, UV light can be used to preserve food and so on. So there are a number of different uh, technologies are there. But among them, I think uh, at the moment, uh, high pressure processing and pulse electric field processing are 
gaining widespread commercial applications. Where would you say that's had the biggest impact uh, as far as new applications in the last five years or so? Where have you seen the biggest growth or the, 10 years, wherever that may be? Right. At the last five to 10 years, I think uh, the some of the category products came in with the high pressure or uh, juices, like I think uh, variety of juices kind of came in and uh, get the application. Uh, the second one is uh, you also have uh, uh, prepared meals. And uh, the third one is pet foods. I think, again, uh, you know, consumers very much uh, want about their pets. I think they want to provide the best food possible for the pets. So pet food is another category of products. Uh, this uh, get that attention. Interesting. So are there any um, challenges or, you know, um, things to overcome to expand HPP into the, the marketplace that, that you see that or problems to be solved for maybe to grow this even further? Because it sounds like a almost a miracle technology for what the market's requiring for a lot of these things. Right. So there's a number of opportunities there. And uh, there's also probably inherent constraints. I think let me kind of try to highlight the opportunities. I think the first one is uh, essentially high pressure processing is a batch technology. You know, if you compare canning, it is a batch process. The same way HPP is a batch process. And if you look at the beverage space, beverage manufacturers are always interested in more continuous processes like aseptic processing, uh, pasteurization type processes. So now there is a efforts underway to develop a continuous high pressure processing. And um, so there's a technology at Ohio State we are working on called ultra shared technology. Uh, basically, you take a beverage and you apply uh, pressure inside a chamber and then discharge the beverage through a shear valve and then pass it through holding tube and they septically package it. So this is a continuous method of high pressure processing. And this is currently in the research state but eventually I think it's going to be uh, commercialized. So I think that's one uh, research opportunity. Uh, the second, I'm, again, I'm talking from a US perspective. Uh, one of the final frontiers in high pressure processing, uh, at least in the US, is uh, dairy, uh, because the daily regulations are much more complex uh, with PMO and other things. So it's not commercialized yet, even though Dairy products being commercialized, for example, in Australia and uh, certain parts of Europe and so on. But eventually, this expected to happen. So I think it's just uh, uh, the academic researchers and the food industry trying to convince the regulators and some of the satisfy the relevant regulations. I think eventually this will happen. So those are the uh, some aspects. Inherently, high pressure processing compared to uh, say Scanning any of the new technologies or any of the conventional technologies, it's expensive. Probably it may cost, depending on the process, product, and so on, maybe three to 10 cents more compared to a conventional treatment. Mm -hmm. So that's where choosing the right product is important. But I'm also very uh, much interested in learning the history of food processing. So if you go all the way back to canning in the early days in the Napoleon times. Uh, apparently they cost up some of these cans where it's like 25% of the soldier's salary. And uh, it's very expensive at the time. 
but today we don't pay attention to the cost of the cans because it's mass production, it becomes inexpensive. Uh, so I think eventually looking ahead, maybe 20, 30 years from now, with the wider industrial adaptation, high pressure probably become a more mainstream technology as well. Well, you said it in was it eight, in the 80s is when it really kind of ramped up. So uh, cannings had 100 years to scale versus versus 40 years. So that makes that makes sense. That brings up kind of you mentioned the United States with this kind of technology. Uh, is it being used in other places in the world to deal with things like food waste and food insecurity? Because, um, you know, you're talking about meats and certain vegetables and juices where, you know, they may not have the freezing capabilities and things because of infrastructure. Um, is that being used by any NGOs or groups like that to help in that area? So again, uh, right now, I think uh, the high pressure processing in, in beyond United States, I think it's also very common in Europe, uh, Asia, like uh, various countries in Asia, and also some of the countries in South America, Australia, and so on. Uh, so at the moment, it is primarily used for value-added products. But uh, once the self-stable products come in commercialized, I kind of see the opportunity for, you know, looking at providing safe, healthy diet with, which are processed with the high pressure uh, assisted thermal processing, or which is high pressure sterilization. That's awesome. Well, that kind of, my, one of my next questions was going to be, where do you see it being used in the future? Um, and what are you most excited, you know, what gets you excited as somebody who's really been there since the beginning of it, uh, at least in the modern sense, uh, what you know when you think about the future, what excites you, and and what are you excited about working on for the future with this technology? So the high pressure assisted thermal processing, or simply call it as a high pressure sterilization, is probably another major uh, thing. It's just waiting for the right industry to adapt and commercialize. Um, I think there has been a lot of work done between 1990 to 2015, and uh, FDA issued letter of no objection on two products or two demonstration products. One is uh, a yeah, mashed potato. The second one is a seafood product. I think uh, as a result, I think from a regulatory perspective, FDA considers them uh, microbiologically safe, uh, similar to a yeah, commercial canning that product. However, because of the cost and other constraints, the technology is not commercially available yet, but I think the interest probably uh, there. So like uh, guacamole, you had an entrepreneur step in and then introduce the technology. You probably need the right entrepreneur to step in and then um, sterilize products into the commercial space. Interesting. Okay. Well, um, we are, as at SIFT, we are a little bit Ohio focused. So can you give me any examples with, you know, with the, that you're allowed to talk about where this has impacted Ohio in particular, the Ohio food industry? Right. Sure. I think uh, Ohio is probably one of the um, early pioneering companies uh, in this space. Uh, I think a couple of connections I can tell you. Uh, I think uh, there's a corporation by name, Sandwich Corporation. Um, so they provide uh, different type of high-pressure pasteurized products. Uh, so I think uh, that's one, one example. Um, the One of the commercial equipment provider for HPP, uh, it's called Avure Technology. Now it's called JPTA Avure. 
they are based in Cincinnati, Kentucky border. So that's another profile connection. We also have a toll processor in Ohio as well. So I think uh, Ohio is probably home to high pressure processing in a number of different ways. Awesome. So kind of good for Ohio again. So, um, so well, uh, really, you've covered a lot already. Um, I guess the final thing I'd like to just ask you is, you know, our audience is, 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 is food processors, but also the general public. Is there anything you kind of wish as somebody who's really at the forefront of this and understands it from a technical side? <clears throat> and as somebody who's also, you mentioned you're, you're interested in the history of food processing, and that's something we really want tell our audience about that you wish they knew about HPP or the future of HPP, you know, that you wish more people as consumers, uh, because we're all consumers of food, um, understood about this technology. Right, sure. So the way I probably look at it is that the science and engineering knowledge that took the work of so many different scientists from academia and industry that led to the consumer enjoy high pressure processing today. So I think that science is very critical. I think uh, uh, that's continuing to be important in the coming years so that we can able to address various societal challenges. I think that's something needs to be highlighted. The second thing is sometimes uh, uh, with the limited understanding of science, sometimes people assume things. So for example, people ask me, since high pressure processing effective in killing the bacteria, I can just uh, leave the food open. It's not right. Uh, so, you know, within the package, the high pressure processing able to inactivate the microorganism, but like any other thermally processed product, once you open the package, the microorganism in the air can contaminate and makes the product go bad. So you need to be careful with that. So pressure, temperature, electric field, UV, all these things are tools. And um, in the past, food scientists and engineers had primarily heat as the tool for preserving food. Today, in the 21st century, food scientists and engineers have so many different tools, so they can able to wisely use different combination tools to produce variety of safe and nutritious, healthy products in the years to come. That's awesome. So, you know, we got to appreciate the tools, but understand their limitations and uh, not abuse them. So I think that's a good lesson for, for many of us on lots of technologies these days. Well, um, Bala, I really appreciate uh, your time today. This has been a fascinating um, conversation. I hope maybe down the road, we might bring some companies in who may want to talk about their applications with this technology. Maybe you could come back and join us again. Um but I just wanted to say thank you again and appreciate it. Any last words for our audience? No, thanks for having me. I always enjoy talking about uh, the innovative technologies and uh, happy to share some of our experience. Well, well, thank you so much. You have a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend. Okay, thank you very much. You have been listening to Food Stories, the podcast, a production of SIFT. We appreciate your support. If you have any food processing stories you would like to share, reach out to us at info at siftinnovation.org. And be on the lookout for our next episode coming soon, telling more of these fascinating and important stories. Until then, stay well and stay fed.